The next session we're looking at like Christ, like Christ. Uh, we've looked at in Christ as the foundation, uh, as referring to our salvation, our position in Christ. Uh, then we've looked at with Christ, looking at devotion. Um, and uh, now we're looking at like Christ. They all, of course, are interrelated, as I've said. Uh, with Christ, obviously, is is part of our um, part of the means to be like Christ, uh, and we'll see that our position in Christ is very much related to our uh, our goal of being like Christ. Uh, in fact, uh, if you look at the left column there, uh, we could title that left column "In Christ." Uh, that's the column that deals with theological proclamation, something that is true of us already theologically. It affirms uh, a position that we have in Christ. Uh, Paul would say, you are something. Uh, you are in Christ. Uh, and in grammar, we would call that the indicative. It's a statement of a reality. Uh, we are in Christ so everything that we said about in Christ, about our union with Christ, about our salvation, that all fits in the left-hand column. And then the right-hand column, then, uh, is what we're talking about uh, during this session, uh, like Christ. Uh, it has to do with our, our ethical behavior and our ultimate goal of being like him. Uh, it's the moral exhortation. Uh, it is what ought to be true. All right. What's on the left is true. Uh, this ought to be true of us. It's the appeal. It's Paul's command. Be this. Uh, and, of course, we would call it the, the imperative or the command in uh, grammar. So these two, in Paul's writing, are very much related. Uh, that is, Paul consistently bases his appeal, his commands, on what is already true of us. Uh, this, I think, is the fundamental insight into what we would call ethics or, or our Christian life in terms of our behavior uh, and our efforts in conformity to Christ uh, is that it is all based on what God has already done. Okay? Uh, if you look at uh, even the way that Paul structures his letters, uh, you, uh, several of them, uh, Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians, uh, very easily divide into two, uh, with the first half or the first part of those books, in the case of Romans, uh, 1 through 11, uh, dealing with the, uh, the reality, the theological realities uh, that Paul is explaining, and then beginning in chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, well, let's look at it. I'm sure many of you already have it memorized. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, okay, you can see the transition here. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Well, the mercies of God that were explained in the first 12, 11 chapters. And, and the therefore, of course, uh, is the implication of this. Because of what God has already done. Because of his grace and mercy because of your standing in Christ. Therefore, present your bodies, and here's the command, uh, present your bodies as a living and holy and acceptable sacrifice. Do not be conformed. And so if you would, uh, if you had a, a, a Greek grammar or a Greek concordance that would show you the different moods, okay, I'm comparing what's in the imperative mood and in the indicative mood, that is, a statement versus a command, you would see clearly that all the commands end up in the last part of Romans, uh, chapters 12 and following, and it's the statements that appear in the first part of Romans. So it's very clear that Paul's making a division between these two. It's also important to realize that the order of those, that the, the statements come first and the commands come second. They follow and are, in fact, based on uh, those realities. Ephesians uh, breaks up the same way, uh, right into uh, chapters 1 through 3. I'm sure that uh, Don 
brought this point out as he taught Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. But what's that calling? That's what Paul explains in the first three chapters, is the call to which we've been called. And then, beginning in chapter 4, Paul bases his commands on that uh, reality. So the moral exhortation is based on the theological proclamation. The command is based on the statement. How we should live is based on what is already true of us and our position in Christ. Colossians, uh, the next book uh, also, or two books over, also follows that same pattern. Uh, We're beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, since you have been raised with Christ, that is true. Therefore, seek the things that are above. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Uh, where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Okay, so you can see, again, that uh, what Paul is doing is, is telling us first what the theo- theological reality is, what our position is, what our salvation is, and he said, because of this and based on this, then therefore, this is how you ought to live. This is the fundamental way that we should understand uh, our Christian behavior uh, and, and the moral exhortations in our lives uh, is that it is based on a theological reality. It is based on something that God has already done in us. Uh, and therefore, we ought to live in a different way. You can see even in certain verses, uh, chapter Colossians 3.1, if you have been raised, therefore seek the things that are above. Uh, Ephesians 5, uh, you see that uh, all in one verse. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. (laughs) You are light, walk as children of light. That's it. Uh, You have this position in Christ. You are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk this way in a way that's consistent with your position in Christ. And there are countless of examples. Those are just two. But uh, just to emphasize this point, that uh, how we live is very much dependent on our understanding of our identity and our reality, the reality of who we are, of the transformation that has already taken place, of the new birth, uh, the fact that we are different people, Uh, And therefore, we have to live as different people in the world. Recognize that uh, that being like Christ, Christ Christ-likeness, is in fact a goal. uh, And it is God's intention that we be like Christ. And that is true from the beginning to the end of our our Christian lives. Uh, It is true from justification, from regeneration, when when God redeems us, uh, saves us, uh, regenerates us, uh, and the passage there, Ephesians 4.24, uh, speaks of, um, uh, says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, put on the new nature, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Created, that's past tense, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness that is already true. Uh, so in a sense, uh, our, our Christ-likeness is something that is already accomplished. In another sense, it's being done now uh, through what we would think of as sanctification or uh, what Paul would often use, transformation. I like the word conformation. Uh, I haven't heard that before, but it makes sense to me because what we are doing is being conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, When we think of sanctification, we're looking at being set aside. We're looking at, for his purposes, we're looking at holiness. When we look at transformation, we're emphasizing the idea of change and the radical discontinuity, the radical difference between the way we were and the way we should be and the change that's taking place, the metamorphosis that's taking place, 
When I look at conformation, I think the real word is conformity, but it doesn't fit with the Asians, so that's why it's conformation. Uh, we're looking at the goal. Uh, we're looking at what we're being changed into. We're, we're changed into the likeness of Christ. So it's conformation. Uh, that's another way to look at, at uh, the process. Uh, we are being renewed. Uh, and the great passage here is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we're going to look at this passage in a little bit more detail uh, in a second. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed. Present tense. Are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. Uh, that is the process that we are now engaged in uh, as we become more and more like Christ. And then it is also something that can be spoken of in the future, that we shall be like him uh, in the resurrection. And a well-known passage would be 1 John uh, 3.2. Uh, beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be what? We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Uh, so it, it's interesting that, uh, and you find this with, with many of the, the ideas that revolve around salvation, uh, is that there is both a past aspect of it, a present aspect of it, and a future aspect of it. Uh, and, and this one uh, follows that same pattern. Uh, Christ-likeness is something that, in a sense, is already true of us. In a sense, is being we are being transformed uh, to be like Christ. And in another sense, that is something that yet uh, remains to be ultimately fulfilled in resurrection, in glorification. I found it interesting that, that uh, Paul uses these three different words, uh, form or conform or transform uh, to uh, um, relate to the conformity of Christ, the likeness of Christ. We have already looked at uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. A very important passage is Romans 8.29. Uh, turn to that passage, please. Romans 8.29. It's after the well-known passage in Romans 8.28, which is frequently quoted. We know that in everything God works good. Uh, Romans 8.29. Thanks, Ray. Uh, remember, this is the, this uh, order of salvation that Paul is talking about when he talks about uh, calling, predestination, those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified. There is an end there in sight, uh, and that end is expressed to be conformed to the image of his son. This is something that God intends for us. This is his purpose, his goal for us. Uh, is that that we will be conformed to the image of Christ ultimately. Uh, we have been chosen for this, and God is working in our lives to this end, to be like our Savior. Uh, so it is a future uh, idea. I've mentioned that, and then I'm going to go back to the present which is the one that I want to focus on. But let me look at uh, a few verses here that talk about that future aspect once again. From 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 49, uh, says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, who is that? Adam, exactly. Uh, remember, this is that, that passage where uh, Paul is contrasting being in Adam and being in Christ, okay? And this is one of the points of contrast, is that we, we bore the image of Adam. We have borne the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 
who is Christ. Let me ask you a question. In your translation, uh, this translation gives a future tense, we shall bear. Uh, is there any translation that you have that says, let us bear? Net Bible says... Yeah, okay, so it has the idea, uh, this is the idea of a command. Um, in, in Greek, there would just be one letter difference between these two. Le, uh, we shall bear or let us bear. And you can see that there was uh, some misunderstanding, not misunderstanding, some uh, doubt as to which is meant. And, and this is understandable because, as I said, they're so closely linked uh, the idea that, that something is already true of us, or in this place, in this case, is going to be true of us, and something that we are involved in now as a process, let us bear the image of Christ. Uh, they're very closely linked together. Uh, and so it's understandable that both, um, both ways of understanding that uh, appear in the, in the texts. Philippians 3.21. Um, um, Thank you. Uh, Colossians 3.21. Uh, Did I... I'm sorry, Philippians. Philippians 3.21. Okay, again, this future tense idea... Uh, we await a Savior who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body. <clears throat> and, and most of these references to future, of course, have to do with the resurrection, and, and some of them uh, are specifically focusing on the change of our body uh, to be like the body of Christ, uh, but, but the, the same general idea of conformity. Okay, we'll skip the, uh, the John one. We've already looked at, uh, at 1 John 3. All right, one of the important passages, as I mentioned, uh, for this present idea, remember we, we can see that it can deal either with the past, that is, we have been created in the image of Christ in, in our regeneration, or present, it's something that's happening now, or future, we shall be conformed. We shall bear the likeness of uh, the man from heaven. Uh, and, and 2 Corinthians 3 is uh, a critical passage that uh, is focusing on that present change, what is happening to us uh, now. And uh, let me read that once again, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness. Uh, the word there that's used is metamorphosis, all right? And it's, a, it's appropriate uh, because the meaning is very similar to the way that we would generally understand uh, that word. It's often used, for instance, in biology. That's the first time you heard it, uh, probably when you were learning the life cycle of the butterfly uh, because there is a caterpillar uh, and that caterpillar uh, finds itself or makes a cocoon and, uh, and there is as you remember from your little science experiment, uh, watching this cocoon and, uh, and several weeks or months later, uh, out emerges this, this uh, creature that looks so much different than what it came in, what, where it came from. There's been this radical change. And I think that this is the idea that comes across with the word metamorphosis is, is a change that is radical and a change that, does, that is a process. Uh, he talks about changing from one degree to another, one measure to another. It's a gradual process. It's an incremental process, uh, and it is a process. But it is so incredibly radical uh, that who we are, uh, because we are in Christ, there is this radical change we are no longer the people that we once were. We are different people. We're a new creation. All things have become new, uh, Paul says. Uh, and because of that, our lives ought to reflect that radical transformation that has already taken place in us uh, because we are in Christ.
Uh, and that's the word metamorphosis that is uh, used. It's also used of Christ in the transfiguration. Uh, it's used in, in Romans uh, 12.2 when uh, Paul again talks about don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, and that's the kind of radical change that is being uh, conceptualized here. Yeah. Right. And in the Second Corinthians 3 passage, it is the spirit that you're looking at as well, uh, this, this, the uh, spirit which is the Lord um, in that passage. Uh, this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. I think that's the point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's look a little bit more in depth in this one passage. Uh, what I like to do is try to keep, get one passage that we can sort of get our, our heads around and focus on for each of these sessions. And this is the passage that I've chosen, uh, Ephesians 4:22 through 5:2. So if you'd all turn to that, please, Ephesians 4:22, and we want to spend a little bit more time on this particular passage. Uh, Tommy, I forgot to check what our schedule is like. What is our time frame? So we're finishing at noon? Is that right? Okay. Okay, Ephesians uh, 4.22. And uh, we'll look first at, uh, at verses 22 through 24. And Tommy, would you read that, please? Okay. Um, what version is that? What what version? What translation? Uh, okay. There, you'll find a lot of variation in the translation of this idea of the former manner of life, or uh, here in RSV uh, is actually one of the the worst translations when it says "put off your old nature." Uh, that's that's not, of course, uh, what it says. Uh, literally, it is uh, the the old uh, the old man, the former, uh, the conduct of the old man. Uh, any other translations? I forgot what NIV has. Is it old self? Which is actually a bit better, the old self. Uh, so one of the the problems here is how you translate it, um, because you you have that same question. Now, is Paul talking about something that did happen? Uh, that is, that you already put aside that old self? Or is he saying, therefore, put aside the old self? Okay, you have the same question, and it's, it's more difficult in this passage because in, in the original language, it's, there's some debate over which it could be. It could be understood as a statement you have put aside the old self, or it could be understood as a command. Uh, therefore, put aside the old self, the old man. I think we can see a little bit more, uh, a little bit different or perhaps helpful um, parallel in Colossians. Go to Colossians. Uh, it, you have somewhat of the same problem, but it's a little bit clearer. Colossians 3, uh, verses 9 through 10. Colossians 3, verses 9 through 10. You remember that Ephesians and Colossians are, are in many ways parallel, and sometimes it helps to go to the parallel passage, uh, which is in the other book. And here I think it does help. Uh, Colossians 3, uh, 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old nature with its practices, and have put on the new nature, which is being renewed. So here it's pretty clear uh, that what is being conceived of is that we have already put off the old man. 
we have already put on the new man. And therefore, we should, uh, our lives in the, the way that we live, the practices that we have, should reflect that new man that we are. Okay? Let me, let me um, just back up just a bit because uh, there is some confusion here about this old man, new man, uh, old nature, new nature kind of things. I think part of the problem is the translations, frankly, that have uh, sort of perpetuated this kind of confusion. It seems pretty clear to me that what Paul is saying is uh, he's, he's looking at conversion, at regeneration, as very much a dividing point in our lives. And he's saying that everything before that is what he talks about as the old man. Okay, that's the language that he uses in the, translate, in the, the original. It's old man. That's the old self, if you would. Uh, and that, he says, has died. There's no other way to interpret that than to say that means it no longer exists. Uh, it's, not, it's not that we... You see, what I hear some people saying is we have within us a battle that's taking place, uh, and it's our old nature and our new nature. And this battle is in us uh, trying to struggle and see which one is going to overcome the other. But that is not the conception that we have when we read what, uh, what Paul's talking about. The old man is not something we have. The old man is not something we had. The old man is something that we were. Okay, we were the old man. At regeneration, all things become new. You are a new man. You are a new creation. Yes, there is a battle that's taking place, a battle between the flesh and the spirit, that's the battle that's taking place. Galatians 5 talks about that uh, between the, in that battle. Uh, but I think there's a, some misconception if we can continue to think that we have the old nature uh, because that, I don't think, is reflective of what Paul is trying to say. Uh, yes, it may be that some of the practices, some of the habits, some of the behaviors of the old nature may continue uh, and, and that's what Paul's concerned about and says, how can you still live like that? Those practices were consistent with who you were. Sure, you acted like that. That's how you were the old, that old person. That's the way you used to live. That's understandable. But now you're a new person. And, and sin, that sinful behavior is not consistent with who you are in Christ. You are a new creation. All things have become new. Uh, so don't let those practices dominate your current behavior. Uh, there's new behavior that is appropriate for who you are now. You are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. Uh, so, so this one in Colossians, you have put off the old man. I think it's the same idea here in Ephesians. Uh, what he's talking about is something that has already taken place and based upon that new reality, therefore, you ought to live a life that's consistent with who you are now in Christ. So we go back to that first session on in Christ and see how important it is that we understand our identity because that identity, that new status, remember, is a basis for a new way of life that is different, that is radically different from the old way of life. Uh, and so when I think, who am I now? I am a new creation in Christ. That old man is gone. The, the practices that were associated with my old way of life are gone. Uh, and now I am a new person in Christ. And the behavior that is expected of me is the behavior of the one in whose image I am created. It is the, the behavior, the, the, the principles and character of Christ that are being reproduced in my new life. And that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. All right, there's several hands, and I want to take them. Dave, I think first. Yes. Yeah, they weren't part of us. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't regenerate. All right. Yeah. Can you comment a little bit on the 
Yeah. 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 The the flesh is what dominated the old man. Okay. Uh, that that the old man, the old person, was dominated by the flesh. It was the ruler of the old man. And you go to Romans six uh, or Romans five. Um, Uh, Romans 6, beginning in in verses 12, for instance, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not yield your members to sin as instruments of righteousness, but yield yourselves to God as men who have been brought from death to life. There it is again. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will no longer have dominion over you since you're not under the law but under grace. Uh, And then continuing on in that same passage, uh, he's talking about slavery to sin and being set free from sin. The idea that the flesh dominates us or dominated us, that he, the flesh was our master, and we were under obligation, in a sense, to obey its dictates and its commands, and we had no power to do otherwise. Whereas now the flesh is still there. Uh, that's part of, of the final eradication, of course, will happen in the resurrection body. But it is no longer the rightful Lord of our, ma- of our lives. And to obey its commands, I, in, in, let me go back to an illustration that uh, is not totally appropriate for this audience, but one that I would use in Africa, for instance. And I think you'll be able to get the gist of it. Uh, it speaks powerfully to, to an African audience. Uh, and that is the idea that uh, in 1961, Nigeria uh, uh, changed from being a colony of Britain uh, to independence. Uh, it became independent politically. And, uh, and before 1961, uh, Nigerians were obligated to follow the dictates of the colonial master. But in, on August 3rd, uh, 1961, one flag went down and another flag went up. Uh, and therefore, uh, Nigerians were no longer obligated to do that. In fact, it would be inconsistent to do that. And so when, the, when a British general says, do this or do that, they would say, um, now, wait a minute, I, I used to do that, but, uh, but now I don't think I need to do that anymore. But we still somehow, if you see the analogy, we still somehow feel like, Let's see. Yeah, I used to do that, and the flesh is saying, do this, but, oh, yeah, I don't have to do that anymore. And now I have power to do otherwise. I have the spirit, uh, which now is the rightful Lord, the rightful one who dominates uh, what I do in my life, and that that I should be consistent with the dictates of the spirit. So that's the difference between flesh and old man, uh, is that the, the flesh dominated the old man, it continues on into our current life, and we feel it's the tug of war within us, but, uh, but we don't have to. We, it's inconsistent with who we are, and now we have power to do otherwise. So, so could, we, could I restate that and just make sure I've got the mm-hmm. idea that the flesh is still there and its mm-hmm. nature has not changed right. or its authority that it had over us when we were the old man. Exactly. And it is there now as a, as a kind of not quite an external influence, but almost. Well, yeah. Although, uh, yeah, in 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 Romans seven, it's very much internal. You know, it's very much there and very real. But uh, uh, in that struggle, but but ultimately, Paul says that that we are now obligated to the Spirit to do the deeds of the, to to fulfill the the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, think I'm tracking with you, and I think I understand what you're saying here, Bill. But I want to I want to make sure because in Ephesians four, when it says that in reference to the old man of life, you lay aside the old self, and then he says put on the new self, and then in Colossians three, he says you have laid aside the old self, and you have put on the new self, and then he goes on to put on again. Right. Walk, yeah, yep. 
It is. Yes. 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 Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so I'm not denying the exhortative force of this. It is there, and even if you don't translate it that way, it's still there. Uh, and and what you're putting off is the, the the behavior that was associated with that former way of life. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hadn't thought about it. Um, right. Right. get into trouble. No. I can get in trouble if I do that. Uh, no, I I don't know. Yeah, that's a great question, but uh, I, had, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yes. First Corinthians 7, yeah. Five. Thanks, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, it might be. Uh... Okay, uh, so so the, the imagery that Paul is using here is that put off, put on. Uh, in If we go back to Ephesians 4, the same words are used in Colossians uh, 3. Put off the old nature. Uh, as I said, I'm displeased with that translation, but put it off, uh, and then put on, in verse 24, put on uh, the new nature. Uh, And uh, it is the image of clothing. Uh, These were the words that would be used to speak about taking off clothes and putting on clothes. And so you think, for instance, of a a soldier, uh, somebody who signs up, who's recruited to be a soldier, and he's uh, now that he's a soldier, he takes off the civvies, and he puts on the new uniform. That's who is appropriate to his new identity, to who he is now. Uh, he, he can't wear those civvies anymore. Uh, now he's a different person, and he puts on those new clothes. Uh, and, and so Paul's idea is, don't wear those dirty rags. You know, that's what you, that's what you used to wear, and yeah, that was understandable, because that's who you were. But now you are a different person, and therefore the conduct and the behavior and the practices that you have must be consistent with that, uh, with who you are uh, in Christ. Uh, I like this this phrase. I think I used it before. Uh, you can no longer do the things you once did because you are no longer the person that you once were. Uh, that, to me, sort of encapsulates uh, what Paul is saying here in terms of moral exhortation. Uh, you can no longer do those things because you are no longer that person. Uh, and so the practices that, that were true of you, that were ex- almost expected of you, uh, when you were obligated to the flesh, uh, those things you can no longer do. In other places, 
well, actually, even in Ephesians, he's going to say, walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Uh, that is, that those behaviors and that conduct is not only different from the way you used to live, it is different from the, the current world around you. Ron? Yeah, it is no longer I. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Habits die hard, uh, and the flesh is still there. Uh, I, we can't underestimate the power of the flesh uh, as being something that's very real, uh, very much something that, that we are in battle with daily through the power of the Spirit. Uh, and Paul, I think, eloquently describes that, uh, that battle in Romans 7 when he says, I find myself doing the very things I don't want to do. Uh, so it's that reality that is the reason for Paul's longing of future redemption uh, when we will be with Christ and like Christ uh, because now we find ourselves uh, falling and giving in to that which we know we have no business doing and we're not yet obligated to it and it's inconsistent with who we are and yet we still end up doing it. Right. It reminds me, you said the old man was everything we were in Adam before we were saved. Yes. Conversely, the new man is everything we are since we were saved in Christ, which also includes indwelling sin. Does that make sense? Um. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's quite right. I think that, that that's a commonality between the two stages is that the flesh is still there in both, but the new man is created in the image of Christ. Uh, so I, I don't think that we would say the flesh is part of the new man. I would say it's a hangover from the old man that is still in us, uh, and, and that's, that is what creates the tension and the battle uh, before there was no battle uh, because the, the flesh dominated the old man. The flesh, flesh no longer dominates us, uh, but it's still part of us. I, I don't think I'd want to link the flesh in with the new creation in that way. No. Yes. Good. Yeah, and oftentimes, I guess, is uh, it's not enough just to emphasize the put off. We also need to emphasize the put on, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Let me, and then let me continue. As Paul continues then on through Ephesians 4, uh, he, he talks about these different behaviors that we put off and put on. Uh, verse 25, uh, put away falsehood. And then on the positive side, the put on is let everyone speak the truth uh, with his neighbor. 
Uh, be angry, but do not sin. Let the thief steal no longer, but let him labor. All right, here's this is more directly to the point that was just brought up. Uh, and and then in verse uh, 32, uh, Paul says this: and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And here it is where where Paul ties our behavior uh, to likeness of Christ, to Christ's likeness, that we should, in our forgiveness, uh, be forgiving just as Christ forgave us, that is, sacrificially and unconditionally and generously and mercifully. And that is the attitude and the spirit that should dominate our lives and the way that we respond uh, to others. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. Be like God. Uh, You think back to uh, Matthew 5. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Um, That's an incredible uh, expectation. Be like God uh, morally is what he's saying. Um, Now, part of that, I think, is understood by the next phrase, as beloved children. Uh, So what he's saying is there should be a family resemblance. Uh, They should recognize you as God's children uh, because God is your father. You should be like him. And walk, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So again, you see the, the connection between the way that Paul says you should act and the way that Christ Uh, lived his life as an example, as a model. So don't run away from the idea that that Christ is our model. He is an example. Uh, These are the things that are being said here, is that uh, in forgiveness, in, in, uh, in our love for one another, we should follow Christ. Uh, We should imitate Christ in that way. And that's the idea of conformity, uh, or confirmation, um, as I expressed it. Now, I, I do say that, that evangelicals are sometimes a bit skeptical or hesitant or underemphasize uh, this aspect of our Christian lives. Uh, and I think it's because we would feel like um, that, that uh, moral purity is not the way to salvation. We understand that. It is justification. It is faith. Uh, It is that transformed, regenerate uh, existence that we need. And that's not done simply by turning a a new leaf. Uh, Luther says this. He says, it is not imitation which makes sons, but sonship which makes imitators. And I like that. Uh, That, I think, helps to put it together for me. Uh, That there is imitation, but that's not what makes sons. Uh, We imitate because we are sons. Um, One other point on imitation, and that is that usually when Paul talks about being conformed to Christ, he's actually talking about suffering. We could take an example or look at these passages, but uh, we won't take time to do that. Uh, But there is a, a particular way in which our lives are conformed to the image of the Lord in suffering. Uh, and Paul's certainly, and he says, not only mine, but you also, you are given the gift of uh, suffering. Let me make uh, one other point, uh, and that is that, that uh, when you learn about Islam, <clears throat> they also would have a doctrine of imitation, uh, imitation of Muhammad. And there is a whole uh, raft of material that uh, called the Hadith that talk about how Muhammad lived. And the expectation is that if you are a good, a good Muslim, you will live as Muhammad lived. And that goes down to everything from what he's wearing. And so if you remember seeing pictures of Osama bin Laden and his turban and everything, that is dictated by that's what Muhammad wore. And so that's what you wear. And the beard, because Muhammad had a beard, so you have to have a beard. And everything, uh, including how you use the men's room, uh, is dictated by this is the way Muhammad did it. 
so every little aspect of your life is that way. Uh, and this is called the Sunnah of Muhammad, and that's where Sunnis, Sunni Muslims get their name from that particular way or that particular ideal of uh, the Muslim life. Now, what I want to say is, is we, we can see the difference then between Islam and the doctrine of imitation and Christianity and our understanding of what it means to imitate Christ in three ways at least. Uh, one is for us, the transformation has already taken place and, and how we live our life is based on something that is already true of us. Okay, that's a significant difference. A transformation has already taken place, which is the basis then for our, our outward uh, behavior. So it's that imperative, indicative connection, something that is already, uh, rather indicative, imperative, something that has already taken place in us and uh, the basis of our new life then is based on what has already taken place. Uh, and again, you can see, for instance, in the Ephesians 5 verses we just read, we're talking about principles and character uh, rather than specific uh, details. Uh, how those things might apply in any one case uh, can be varied. Uh, I think we understand how our Christian life works in that way. And of course, we have mentioned the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is living in us and, and gives us the ability to say yes uh, to the way of Christ, uh, where in Islam there's no such thing. Uh, and so what replaces that in Islamic culture is the, the culture itself. Uh, that is that to be a good Muslim, you must live in a Muslim culture. Okay? And, uh, and if you can produce a culture that is conducive to this way of life, then that is what uh, helps a, a Muslim to live a good Muslim life. And so in, in, um, uh, in Islam, it is, it is essential that that culture become Islamized. Uh, that is the way that a good, a good Muslim can live his life. Let me tell you, folks, Islam in, in U.S. is no different. Uh, it is the goal of every Muslim to live in an Islamicized culture. Uh, that is the only way that they can be a good Muslim, uh, and that is the goal. Uh, so just be aware of that, uh, that, that you will, if you understand that, you can begin to read uh, Muslim politics and, and Muslim actions within this country. Uh, I, I'm not trying to, this is not a scare tactic or anything. This is just trying to say this is the way that, uh, how a Muslim understands what it is to be a good Muslim and, and their goal in, uh, in, in producing a culture that would uh, facilitate that. Okay? Okay, so I think we're done, but perhaps you have further questions on, on uh, what we're doing.